0: and welcome to small screen science the podcast
1: where we explore the science behind our favorite tv shows i'm karen i'm emma and this week we're calling the episode zombie apocalypse science because we're watching the walking dead in time for halloween and exploring all things zombie we're chatting to guests about disease transfer in the way that the zombie apocalypse might actually spread and also we're going to be chatting about the history of zombies and how humans have dealt with and even buried potential zombies in the past
0: Yes, and don't forget to look out for our language that we use today, because we're we'll going to be talking all things zombies, zeds, creepers and rotters.
1: Yeah, in uh, in literature and in, in films, they've always been given all sorts of different names. So we're going to try and squeeze a few of those in. We'll give you a list at the end. Yeah, as always. So don't forget to play our zombie bingo. <laughs> zombie bingo. <like> that. <laughs> so, uh, Karen, have you seen The Walking Dead? Are you a fan of zombies and apocalypse literature?
0: I'm definitely a fan of of zombie literature and I play a lot of zombie games as well. And I think what's really interesting about Walking Dead is it's a a reflection on society. So it's how Mm. is society going to cope with an apocalyptic event? And these Mm. little small groups of survivors all responding in slightly different ways, some very positive, some very negative. And and it's a real mirror to society. And I think that's what makes it interesting and makes it different to other, other zombie genre films and TV shows.
1: It's run for quite a number of series now Mm. as well, hasn't it? People are really um, invested in the survival of these little outposts of people.
0: Yeah. And and they're not afraid to kill off the, you know, the main characters as well, which is I think pretty gory. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Pretty gory. Yeah. You can't get attached to anyone in the, in the show, but I suppose in real life that would be probably what would happen in a zombie apocalypse.
0: Yeah. I'm afraid so. So quite realistic. And I think the way it looks at the different groups of survivors and how they respond is, I think, unfortunately, very realistic as to, mm. you know, what would actually happen in an apocalypse. Well, we, I mean, I think we better start
1: out by defining a zombie. Yeah, that's probably a good place to start, yeah. isn't it? So what is a zombie? Well, actually, research suggests that true zombies must meet three criteria. Right, right because of <laughs> <So> research. They- <laughs> I know, I know. Genuinely, there is a lot of scientific research that we have managed to find for this episode. It's brilliant. Yeah. So, um, so yes, they must be a reanimated human corpse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they must be a relentlessly aggressive. Relentlessly. no um, <laughs> Not, know. Just, not they just specified aggressive. relentlessly. Not just not just a bit aggressive. Um, and they must be biologically infected and able to pass this on to other humans. Yeah, I mean that makes sense, doesn't it? And the, mm. and
0: how this is transferred over to humans. Um, From one human to another is quite interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes it's, you know, fungal spores, sometimes it's, it's kind of scratching, but quite often it's a bite, isn't it? And, um, and I think this is where society, you know, how society reacts to this kind of thing is, is quite key, because my husband says you always need to watch out for a certain type of people and how they respond to, a, to an epidemic. He so always an epidemic says that, does That's this, his, he? That's just his phrase. Yes, it's just like one of those things. Well, he's Hello, like, nice to meet you. You better watch out. <laughs> you better watch out <laughs> sure. for these, these, these issues. Um, so the the big issue is the person who would hide the zombie bite. Because there are people in society and we will all know people in society who will do this. They'll get bitten they'll think oh no you know I'm going to lose my arm or I'm going to be killed because because they think I'm a zombie I'll just pretend mm. I haven't got that bite and you see i fine all the films and all the tv shows don't you the, the person yeah. who hides the bite and and you need to look around you now because we're in the middle of a pandemic or you know an uh, epidemic pandemic look around you now and consider who in your group is most likely to hide a zombie bite and keep an eye on them oh that that's would be interesting <laughs> yeah.
1: and of course you, you get the type of people as well who um and perhaps this does mirror into modern day but in, mm. we'll put it in the zombie frame for now but you, you would get people as well who'd kind of think oh i'm gonna be fine everything's gonna be fine i'll go and uh, i'll go and hang out with a zombie like i'm not gonna get ill as well you get the kind of cavalier yeah well we, we termed them rat lickers didn't we
0: yes exactly so it's, this is the type of person that back in the plague days you'd say to them beware of rats they carry the plague and that person would go, yeah, right, whatever, pick up a rat and
1: lick it. Yeah. And yeah. these days, those people will be going in Tesco's, coughing all over the place, not wearing a mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bring it back to real life. <laughs> you all know them, you've seen them. <laughs> so, you and your husband, you are actually quite well prepared for the zombie apocalypse. Oh, yes, yes, we are. Yeah. We have a zombie apocalypse plan. And yep.
0: we also have a zombie apocalypse draw. Now, this this fascinates <laughs> me. Tell
1: me about your draw. Tell me what's in there. What do I need to put in mind? Because I'm not nearly as prepared as you.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, is, you know, everybody's got a zombie apocalypse draw. They just don't realise it. So you will have You will have somewhere in your house, a drawer or a box or a cupboard. And inside that you will have your candles and your matches. You will have your batteries. You will have your, you know, a torch. You'll have a pen knife. Some multi-tools. Exactly. All those. And first aid kit. It's your go-to drawer. And basically, in the event of a zombie apocalypse, you grab a bag, you tip out that drawer into your bag, pop in some, you know, wet gear
1: and a jumper. You're away. Sorted <laughs> wet gear and a jumper, yeah. No worries, all sorted. Yeah, oh, maybe I do, maybe I do then. Yeah, yeah I've got miscellaneous zombie appliances around the house. I've just never categorized these <laughs> for a zombie apocalypse, but probably quite useful in any apocalypse,
0: absolutely. And you know, uh, make sure you've got a solar powered battery of some description that can attach to your phone and other appliances. Got one of those?
1: I do actually. Yeah. I'm going to show you on the screen and yeah. not listeners. It's right next to me. Oh, <laughs> I nice. One of those. Exactly. And I've I'm got one as well. I'm far more prepared than I expected. Exactly. That's excellent. Yeah. Good. I'll be all right then. Yeah, and You'll I think be so. all right. Definitely. Anyway, we're here to talk about the science of zombies. Let's bring it back to the science rather than telling everyone our plans. <laughs> okay,
0: so actually there's there's a number of different parasites which in animals create um, you know, behaviors which are very similar to the to the zombie behavior. Um, Mm. And these tend to be, you know, parasites and fungi. So one of the particular fungi um, uh, you're going to talk about in a second, aren't you? But there's a protozoa called Toxoplasma gondii. Mm -hmm. And this actually infects um, mice. And what it does is, it means they are less likely to be afraid of cats, and might even be attracted to the smell of cats. Which, for oh, right. for a rodent or a mouse, is is not a great plan. It's not um, not not the best. Um, and and it's because the the parasite itself um, needs to reproduce inside the intestines of a cat, so ah. it needs the rodent to be eaten by a cat in order for that to happen. So it it, it changes the behavior of the rodent. So that it's in more likely to make to it be. survive. Yeah. So it's more likely to be eaten by a cat and therefore the, the, the parasite's more likely to, to reproduce. And they think it might affect things like the um, the immune system, you know, the dopamine levels, the brain chemistry of the rodent in oh, order wow. for the behaviour to change. And Mm. what's really interesting is they think a third of the population of humans also has this parasite inside their bodies.
1: Oh, Oh, that's grim. What a lovely statistic. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to continue the grim trend and Mm. tell you about a certain fungi. So there's a parasitic fungi, which controls or get into insects brains basically. Mm. And it's called Orphicorepsis unilateris Mm. and it controls insect brains. And it does a very similar thing. It starts to manipulate their behavior. um, And it, and it's really interesting. So this particular one could cause ants to basically move like a zombie, act like a zombie. They're kind of walking around erratically uh, and going a little bit mad as it's reproducing inside their bodies. Mm. Um, and what it does is it causes them specifically to climb to a certain height of a tree and and. When it's at that height, the, uh, the fungi will basically explode from the brain of the ant and disperse its spores. And that's how the spores will continue and travel on and, and be able to infect other ants. But what's really fascinating is <laughs> it will do this at a certain time of day. Yeah. And it won't just be the one ant. So if you've got a whole colony of them. That are infected at noon all of these ants will rise up to the light they 'll reach a high point near them and then disperse all these spores at the same time, which means that the spores are more likely to be picked up by the wind and travel into the environment and and cause more damage and propagate it 's really interesting it 's yeah. absolutely savage nature sometimes when yeah. you look at it closely
0: and and what ants do is they they clean each other as well to try and prevent this spore from getting into the bodies so they, so clearly as as this kind of subconscious idea that we need to clean ourselves and make sure that spores like this don't end up infecting us and infecting our bodies within the colony so Mm, yeah yeah
1: ants wash your hands for 20 seconds (laughs) (laughs) while singing happy birthday (laughs) so later we are going to be talking to someone who knows a little bit more about getting rid of potential zombies Mm. uh burying them we've actually got a a genuine human burial expert coming up but um let's move on to our first guest because she is actually going to help us explore the start of the apocalypse and, and how it all begins. Yeah, so we spoke
0: to Jo Varan. She's Emeritus Professor of Microbiology at uh, Manchester Metropolitan University. And we talked to her about disease transfer, because in The Walking Dead, it's a virus that causes people to to actually turn into zombies. And she's going to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, and of course, because it's 2020, and if you haven't noticed it already, we're really struggling not to bring up the C word too much. Mm-hmm. But we are going to touch on the relevance of her field with the current coronavirus situation. Uh, yes, indeed.
0: So if we maybe start then with what is an epidemiologist?
2: Uh, epidemiologist is somebody who's interested in the way that diseases move um, across populations. So epi is a pawn, and demos is people. So it's it's looking at diseases across populations. So an epidemiologist is somebody who um, studies that.
0: Yeah, and that's quite, obviously, quite important at the moment. There's a lot of that, you know... How do you think the public understanding of uh, epidemiology and disease transfers changed as a result of the current situation?
2: Uh that's a really good question. I think... Um... It it depends in many instances who they're they're listening to. I think there's a lot of people who possibly think they're virologists and epidemiologists <laughs> who certainly have things to say about epidemiology and virology who um, are perhaps yeah they're all on Twitter. Yes, yes, it's really it's really quite um, quite disturbing. But I, on the other hand, I think that uh, the public is much more aware of. Um epidemiological terminology, things that they perhaps were less aware of before, things like you know the the r value and yeah. um incubation periods and a lot of uh, epidemiological terminology so uh, that that's a good thing um I just hope that over time that the more sort of robust and reliable um sources of information will be the ones that people listen to more.
1: So for anyone that's been living under a rock this year, the R value is the reproduction number. So it's a way of kind of measuring and rating a disease's ability to spread. So for example, if we take measles, measles has an R value of 15 in populations where people don't have immunity. So that would mean that On average, one person who has measles will spread that measles to 15 other people. So uh, in the current times that we're living in, we're worried about an R value of more than or less than one. Because if you've got an R value of more than one, every person that's infected with the old coronavirus could Mm -hmm. potentially or is expected to infect more than one other person, which means that it would would grow exponentially. It would spread very rapidly through a population. So what we're trying to do is get that R value below one so that actually the disease would be declining through a population.
0: Yeah and this is why they're asking for all these different behavior changes in order to enable that to happen. Um and the, and she also mentioned the incubation period and this is the time between when you're infected and the appearance of the mm. symptoms. And, and in some people, symptoms don't appear at all. So this is the issue quite often with children is they, they might carry the virus but not actually develop any symptoms. And for COVID, the average incubation period is five days, but it can take up to 14 days. And that's why, you know, they, they recommend isolating for 14 days so that you, you're sure that, you know, if you've got it, the symptoms mm. have actually appeared.
1: Mm. And of course, this is so relevant to a zombie apocalypse. Because you want to understand whether there's an incubation period and and what kind of threats you might be facing without there being a visual threat in front of you. So um, anyway, why have we chosen to speak to Joe above all other microbiologists and epidemiologists that there are in the world? Well
0: it's all because of her book club so she has an absolutely brilliant book club where they basically um, choose books that have got a microbiology angle to them mm. and of course what they've discovered over time is quite often these end up being zombie apocalypse type, type books um, and she's written a number of academic papers based around this book club which
2: is brilliant.
1: Yeah some of which literally have the word zombie in the title so of course we had to speak to her. Definitely
2: so in it was 2009 i set up the bad bugs book club and the aim of that was to get scientists and non-scientists together to talk about books that they'd read where infectious infectious disease formed part of the plot and uh so we've been going for 11 years now so um we meet about six times a year and we talk about obviously a different book of fiction primarily and um We talk about those and then on the website I put reports about the meetings and I also put reading guides so people can ask questions about the book which focus on um, the microbiology, the disease aspects of it. Uh, And the aim of it really is just to get people talking about infectious disease in an environment which is like a safe space because uh, everybody's read the book so we all have the book in common and the scientists might know a bit more about the microbiology but the non-scientists may well know more about literature or about the other topics in the book so we usually have a really good, um, a good discussion and we also consider how the books might be used in, in an education environment as well as this sort of uh, adult um, informal book club environment as well.
0: Well, we, um, because we know that this is, this kind of book club idea has actually led to a paper, which is very much where our interest lies, because we're obviously talking about The the Walking Dead and and zombies in particular. And you analysed um, these books that you've been looking at in terms of zombies and and infectious diseases, haven't you? Yes, I have.
2: So uh, one of the earliest books that we read in book club was Dracula. And I think you've already had a a, a programme about that Mm. as well. Uh, and when I when I when we were talking about Dracula, obviously, um, or perhaps not so obviously, uh, a vampire will pass on vampirism potentially from the vampire to um, to its victim, and uh, we we talked about Dracula a bit, and then I started thinking about oh well, there's um, werewolves as well, which of course is possibly less kind of global, but zombies too, because uh, a zombie is a sort of an inanimate object that is incredibly infectious mm. and so you know it's a 100% communicable it's a 100% um, positive transmission from the zombie to to its victim unless unless the victim is sort of eaten or killed so it's a really extreme example of uh, an infectious disease I suppose you could say and uh so we've read quite a few novels which have zombies in um as part of the plot so uh i am legend for example is one where where they it's a sort of cross between a vampire and a zombie i think if you if you read the book it feels a bit more like um like a zombie the behavior is a bit zombie like rather than vampire like um but world war z um is is a fantastic fantastic novel about um about a zombie pandemic um those are really interesting to talk about because you can relate them to uh actual diseases because zombieism is not a real disease but you can use it as a model and compare it with lots of other uh, other different infections and uh it's also a topic that uh, younger adults and, and children even are interested in so you can use books about zombies to engage a whole range of different audiences
1: you've also written a paper on the epidemiology of a zombie apocalypse yes can you talk us through that paper because it's <laughs>
2: <laughs> we were we uh, so I was talking to a colleague of mine who is a mathematician and he produced um, a computer program which modeled the spread of um, Infection, uh, I think he started off with zombies. So basically you, you have this screen which has got lots of little moving dots which are people and you can show how zombieism spreads through the population. And um, zombies, uh, I would say obviously, you have, you can only transmit it by direct contact. So it's not transmitted by some of the other ways that diseases are transmitted. But also there's a sort of contact ...mode of transmission, which means that the disease can spread relatively slowly through a population. Um, Vampires, on the other hand, they're only active at night, so you tend to get little outbreaks of um, vampire infections at night time when the vampires are active. And werewolves, of course, it's just a a once a month, really. So a a werewolf (laughs) pandemic would take a really long time. Um, But zombies are actually much more versatile. I think people kind of visualise a zombie as a sort of lumbering, slow thing. Um, But actually, um, in more recent uh, literature and novels, they're much faster. So I think if you look at 28 Days Later, and in fact, World War Z, the movie, as opposed to the, the book... Um, the zombies move really really quickly and that changes completely the way that a zombie apocalypse uh, can progress so if you are um, trying to avoid being turned into a zombie the the epidemiology of the zombies and the characteristics of their infection will affect the way that you behave which is again of course true of all infectious diseases
0: so during the interview, she also talked about Zed's mode of transmission in literature. The the direct biting, first of all.
1: Oh, did you just call them Zeds? Was that one of the? Uh, I did. Oh, well yeah, done, yeah. pesky <laughs> lurkers. Um, yes, <laughs> she did mention biting. That's that's the most obvious form of direct transport. But mm. actually, something else she she said was a potential way of direct transport was um organ transplants. You could be transmitted through organ transplants, which initially you would think, right, well, that sounds terribly difficult. And also you would see that a zombie would be frothing at the mouth, um, being all infected, and you wouldn't say, perhaps fancy, one of their kidneys. Mm. But actually, if we're talking about the incubation period, yeah, there, there is a potential risk of infection if you weren't aware that the organ donor was currently in the incubation period, which is quite yeah. scary. Yeah,
0: an easy, easy way to transfer without even realising it's happening.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, and um, in others, it, it was through inhalation of these fungal spores. Um, mm. So if you get the disease which is transmitted by inha- inhalation and it was very fatal, you've got a different story. So very much like those ants, you know, mm. if you inhale them, you've got all these fungal spores turning into fungi inside you mm. and then suddenly you know you end up walking to the top of a mountain or into maybe a built-up area because if you're attracted to people with brains yeah you know and you end up in a built-up area and then your brain explodes like the ants and you put spores everywhere you've got all those other potential victims around you so or you're
1: just breathing it out as well you're just breathing those spores everywhere um yeah exactly so if we're talking about the more traditional sense where you kind of need to be bitten you've probably got more of a chance of survival haven't you Mm, you know you can go upstairs if they're not very good at stairs Uh, you can try and avoid (laughs) them you can physically see them Um, and this is the kind of scenario that is actually portrayed in the walking dead isn't it where you get people trying to isolate themselves um, away from the very obvious kind of carriers of zombie disease uh, and try and avoid um, all contact with the infected
0: Yeah. And and so understanding the epidemiology of transfer and, you know, how it's getting from the walkers
1: into the humans is really key. Yeah, definitely. So one thing she said that was with a with a biter, um, Mm. it's handy if they are presenting obvious symptoms. Mm. um, You know, if we're ignoring the incubation period part of time and actually in The Walking Dead, the incubation period isn't so much of an issue initially because the time between being bitten and actually turning into the zombie is very, very quick.
0: Yeah, but but spoiler alert, everyone. Um, so if you've not watched The Walking Dead, uh, you might want to skip through mm. a little bit <laughs> to avoid this spoiler. Come back in but 20 But in actual fact, um, everybody has the virus. Um, you find out much later on in the series. Um, so even though it can be transmitted from biters to you, um, it doesn't make any difference if you just die of natural causes because you're going to turn into an animated zombie
1: anyway. You're still coming back as a biter. Yep. Oh dear. Yeah, it's not great. Oh. So in the world where it isn't genetically in our DNA and we do have to get infected, um, that's the one that research actually looks at more often. What yeah. would be the cure, do we think? Well, you know,
0: if we're looking for any kind of medical opinion, We're going to look for the for the BMJ, aren't we? Yeah, British Medical Journal. Absolutely. And actually, in 2015, they published an article on this, which is definitely worth a read. So if you are a zombie fan, (laughs) have a read of the paper. It's absolutely brilliant. So what they say is um, prevention and treatment of of zombieism have largely been unexplored. What a surprise. I know it's a disgrace, isn't it? Um, They suggest that amputation has proved successful in some cases, but doesn't always work. Oh, right. So you, you could cut off. So if you got bitten on your hand, cut the hand off or maybe the arm off at the elbow. That would prevent it spreading oh, to the rest of the body. Gangrene style. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the issue might be, you know, the location of the bite. So, it, you know, if you got bitten on the head. Yeah. A yeah. Trickier. Good point. Not going to chop Am- that off and survive. You might as well just no. kick around
1: and let the zombie um, infestation ha- carry on. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so. So, yeah. So. So it does depend entirely on, you know, on where you've been bitten.
1: Yeah, um I mean, one of the issues we've touched on before would be p- people potentially hiding their bite, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. F- for fear of someone lopping off their arm. Um, yeah. But one of the other things that comes up is is vaccines. You know, how do vaccines mm. maybe play a role in potential zombie apocalypse?
0: Well, um, obviously, again, very little study taken place with vaccines. And actually, even if there was a zombie apocalypse, developing a vaccine would be difficult because mm. in order to develop a vaccine, you need to have the infectious components so either you know the the fungus or the the virus or whatever Um, and that's a risk obviously if you've got that in the lab Um, and you also might want to work from the zombies themselves so you've got to have some kind of containment for Mm. the pathogens or for the zombies and obviously most i would say most labs are not set up for um zombie you know zombie protection in that way no, yeah. So that could be an issue. Um, there's obviously um, many different types of pathogens. So one vaccine might not work. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you've, you've got anti-vaxxers as well. So even you might not get society wide uptake. And of course, this is not something you're going to get herd immunity against, is it?
1: No, no,
0: it's no. not. No. So uh, So everybody has to have the vaccine. And, of course, what might happen is, you know, you might get infected with the virus and you might have to have continual vaccination to prevent mm. the
1: virus developing
0: into the it disease. It might not be a one problem. Yeah.
1: yeah. Which obviously poses issues with distribution and production of the vaccine and yeah, getting that out to the whole yeah. population constantly. Yeah. And, nightmare. and again,
0: yeah. And the issue over people who have got the money mm. being more likely to get the vaccine again, we as well. So basically the BMJ is saying uh, more research is needed in this area.
1: Yes, it is. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So what we're saying basically is survival after being bitten is is looking a little bit dodgy. You're going to end up as an empty, aren't you? So Uh, I think the plan of action would be more sensibly avoiding getting bitten in the first place. So, again, this is kind of relevant to today. mm, But what symptoms do we need to be looking out for in other people to make sure we're avoiding people who've got the zombie virus?
0: well the symptoms of infection tend to be fairly uniform so it doesn't matter what the pathogen is mm. how the person behaves seems to be very similar um the in, the incubation period first of all that we've talked about is very variable so in some cases you know as soon as you're bitten you're infected in other cases it can take hours or even days mm. for it to actually develop which means someone could be carrying the the disease around and you've not realized that that's happening um and infected people t- may clinically die and reanimate or they might stay alive after they've been bitten but it doesn't matter they're always aggressive and that was part of your definition Ah, at the beginning wasn't it so there's is that aggression um and a taste for human flesh that'll give it away won't it someone's
1: running around trying to bite you i think um, yeah regardless of whether they look healthy or not the the very act of trying to take a chunk out of my arm might give me some cause for concern (laughs) i think so yeah above about the age of three I think you will be worried. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um, oh, another seen seen a zombie in... baby. Oh, you do have oh. films and programmes with them in. Are they still it's cute, do true. we reckon? Do you still have that innate mm. need to protect and to look after them? Or do you think well, I suppose they... they've
0: still got the big eyes and things, but the rotting flesh might be a bit of a put-off. Oh, yeah, like it would it. have to
1: be early stage yeah. zombie baby. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, sorry, back, right. to, <laughs> back,
0: <laughs> back, to back to the so symptoms. The, so the other symptoms are a shambling gait, mm. Mm. potential... Tendency to moan. Okay. Probably shouting out brains
1: as well. Um that quite often happens, does Oh, maybe. It depends how uh, far their brains. vocal cords and brain are themselves are still yeah. working. Yeah, just groaning. A loss of
0: dexterity, so less likely to be able to open a door, for example. That happens so, when yeah. your arm is rotting flesh, yeah. Yeah. Um and and loss of prior personality traits. So if somebody's personality changes suddenly. Ah. That could be could be a sign. Um, and in rare cases, uh, zombies can be highly intelligent, self-aware, and lacking in the typical tendencies to bite and eat flesh. So they might be carrying the condition, mm. um, be a zombie. But be
1: um, still be themselves in a normally. way. Because that's the interesting yeah. narrative that you get in some films, isn't it? Where it's not just I need to run away from the zombies and I need to protect myself and my family. It's the somebody I know has been infected and you've got this horrible, mm. horrible dilemma of... But they're still them, yeah. But they're infected, and that I think would be the hardest situation.
0: Yeah, and you, and then you've got some really interesting programs like the Santa Clarita Diet, where she is a zombie, and she behaves like a normal human being, apart from the the need to eat human flesh. Uh, mm. Yeah,
1: I mean, so zombies have been in TV and in film quite a lot in recent Mm. decades but actually zombies have been in folklore if we look back through human history for a very long time yeah so that is our cue i think to bring in our next guest
0: yeah so we spoke to dr lauren mcintyre from oxford archaeology so she's an
1: osteoarchaeologist and she best explains what that is herself
3: Okay, so an osteoarchaeologist uh, primarily uh, undertakes scientific research on archaeological human remains. So we uh, look at human bones that have been excavated and do things like try and work out if the person was male or female and like, how old they were when they died and how tall they were and if they had any diseases and all kinds of stuff like that. And why is that useful? Oh, for lots of reasons. Well, um, I mean, archaeology is the study of the human past, and there's not really any more direct way of studying the human past than like, looking at the people that were living there. <laughs>
0: so how do you tell if it's a male or a female set of bones that you found?
3: Um, There's a few different ways Uh, I mean we tend to look um, macroscopically at the bones in the first instance so you can look at the skull uh, and you can look at the pelvis as well and uh, the shapes and sizes of various different bits of those two things um, can tell you whether somebody uh, is more uh, male or female Uh, it's not kind of a binary thing like we kind of score it on a sliding scale because um you don't necessarily get a skeleton that looks like 100% male or 100% female. Uh, So we're making kind of a best guess. Um, So that's one of the ways we can do it. Uh, There's also a few scientific techniques, like if you want to uh, destroy a piece of bone or a piece of tooth enamel or something, and you can tell using that as well.
0: So naturally, we wanted to talk to her about archaeology or historic evidence of zombies or even a fear of zombies.
1: But before we got there, and you know how I love to ask our guest this, Karen, we had to ask about her coolest (laughs) stories and the science in her job. And and it really is cool.
3: So the company that I work for now, they were... Um, doing the preliminary works for the Weymouth Relief Road, and they were excavating all sorts of—I um, think—is they were excavating prehistoric archaeology. So it was kind of run-of-the-mill stuff, um, and they found a giant Viking execution grave. Wow! Whoa! <laughs> um, that has got like the decapitated remains of about fifty odd blokes in it. Goodness! Yeah. <laughs> What a wild yeah. day.
1: Yeah. Imagine that, like, coming home. Like, How was your day, love? Oh, found 50 decapitated men. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. You
1: know. I, suppose, I suppose it must take a really long time. Well, you don't, I suppose, just stumble across 50 in one go. Do you? you yeah.
3: they were, And they were all in one big pit. um, well, um all the bodies were, like, uh, piled up on top of each other, sort of higgledy-piggledy on one side of this giant, I think it was a quarry pit that they'd been put in. Uh, and then all the heads were, like, piled up on the oh. other side. And... Uh, Yeah, and they've not actually been able to match up yet all the heads to the people. Um, And there's a different number of heads to bodies as well. So they're not entirely sure how many people are actually there. So how do you match up? Is it DNA analysis to pair a head to a yeah i think that's what they're gonna have to do there's been a bunch of different scientific work on uh various bits of skeletons um so i know there's isotope analysis being done which is trying to pinpoint uh whereabouts the skeletons of uh, where they grew up when they were children but yeah i think in in order to be able to like fully match the heads and the bodies there's gonna have to be some dna work and that's not being done yet
0: um so lauren talked about um isotopic analysis there and so isotopes are a different form of an element so they've got a different number of neutrons basically and and most people will study this Mm. and and know it from their GCSE studies and there's two different types of isotopes so there are there are stable isotopes Mm. and unstable isotopes so unstable isotopes would be something like carbon-14. So you might have heard of carbon dating yes, when yeah, you dig yeah. up some ancient artefacts. And what they do is they look at the, the levels of carbon-14 in there. And obviously, the older the object is, the more of the isotopes decayed um, And they when they look at the levels. But they can also look at stable isotopes. And these these isotopes never decay. And And all of these isotopes, the stable and the unstable ones, are in the food we eat.
1: Mm. And one of the other isotopes that we look at often is strontium. And uh, our strontium mm. isotopes are absorbed in your teeth when your teeth are being kind of created. And of course, that only happens in childhood. So it can give a really interesting snapshot of perhaps where they were when they grew up in their childhood And you can get different strontium isotopes in your bones because unlike your teeth, which stay the same, your bones actually regenerate their cells fairly often. So they can pick up new Mm. strontium isotopes from different locations. So you can actually compare teeth and bone isotopes to see if someone died where they grew up or whether they traveled and they moved. So for example, some of the burials that are around um, Stonehenge will show actually Mm. that people have traveled from a really long way to end up at Stonehenge. Yeah. Yeah. And and they can even look at
0: uh, nitrogen isotopes. And really interestingly, these can show how old someone was when they started eating solid food, which is pretty amazing. Pretty
1: cool. Not quite so useful, but pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Where did he travel from? I don't know, but he did start on solids aged three. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to Lauren. We've really digressed. Let's bring it back to zombies.
0: So, um, is there any evidence that of. You know, of zombie burials or belief in zombies in any burials that have, you know, that have been excavated in archaeology.
3: Okay, so uh, probably the uh, most well-known archeological evidence for zombies in uh, Britain comes from the uh, medieval village of Warren Percy, which is in North Yorkshire. Uh, Now this uh, all comes from a piece of research conducted by Historic England and the University of Southampton. Um, The Warren Percy is quite a famous medieval village and there's been tons and tons of excavations on it. Um, so there's a village, there's a churchyard. Um, just to one side of the churchyard a few year, quite a few years ago, uh, there was uh, the sort of jumbled, dismembered remains of about 10 people um, excavated from three intercutting uh, pits. Now, um, these, I'd say the bones were all jumbled up, so they weren't like whole skeletons. They were kind of disarticulated and partially articulated bits of person. Uh, now... When osteologists have examined these remains, they found that um, the, the bits of skeletons show evidence of decapitation, uh, of burning and also uh, having their arms and legs smashed up, which is potential ways that you might want to um, dispatch a zombie or stop somebody from being a zombie or whatever. Um, and the researchers who were, who were looking at this, they were very, very thorough in making sure that there weren't any other explanations that could uh, that could suitably explain why these people have been treated the way they did. So say because the um remains have been burnt, you might think, oh well maybe it's like a botched cremation. Um, now cremations aren't really something that we typically get in the medieval period anyway. Uh, they tend to be burying people in coffins in churchyards so that's quite unusual but also um the bodies weren't completely burnt um there was only evidence of burning really uh, around the head and the upper body um, and the burning wasn't happening at temperatures high enough to really cremate somebody so normally um in order to be able to cremate a corpse you need to get fire that's over 600 degrees in order to like fully sort of render everything down into ash if you like um now the the burning that had happened to these remains it was only like charring and it was only to certain bits like around the head and around the, like the upper body and shoulders and things like that um, and the degree of burning suggested the fire was like less than 400 degrees so if it was a botched cremation like it was very very like badly done um but as well as this this burning around the heads um the heads had also been chopped off um and they weren't chopped off in the way that they would be say if you wanted to execute somebody where you'd use a big heavy weapon like an axe or a sword or something like that um the the bones around the the neck and the skull have actually got quite a lot of uh, little fine uh, knife marks like on the vertebrae and things like that so actually somebody is taking quite a lot of time and effort to use a small little knife to sort of carefully chop away at the soft tissue and things and, like remove the head really carefully and then uh, when we look at the um, the arms and legs, um, they've, they basically be smashed up. Um, so there's a lot of longitudinal breaks. There's things like spiral fractures. Um, it, it really does suggest that like there's, there's been some very, very heavy trauma to, to those limbs. Uh, but interestingly, uh, some of the bones are radiocarbon dated. And uh, these things were not happening all as one large event, Um Oh. The pits have actually been redug several times over a period of about a hundred years. Wow! Wow! So it's not like there was like perhaps one one zombie invasion of ten people. Um, this has been happening sort of every every few years over about hundred years time.
1: If we were talking like Walking Dead style zombies, how would you personally bury one of those?
3: Well, um, there's a lot of uh, medieval texts that actually discuss uh, people sort of dispatching of zombies um and some of the things that these medieval texts talk about um or we do actually see that reflected in archaeological evidence as well Oh and wow. um, so um there's a uh, 12th century uh writer in england called walter mapp um, and he's written a, a bunch of different accounts um, about like zombies and revenants and things wandering around. Uh, there's one particular incident that he discusses where uh, there was a, a revenant that was like terrorizing the village that it used to live in. Um, and a local knight called William Lawdon was actually so concerned about it that he wrote to his local bishop. Um, And there's an extract from his his letter where William Laudness said, Lord, I take refuge with you seeking advice. A certain evil Welshman quite recently died irreligiously in my village. And immediately after four nights, he took to walking back to the village each night and will not stop calling out by name each of his neighbours. As soon as they are called, they take ill and within three days they die. So there are already very few left. Now, the bishop actually suggested that um, the reason that this corpse was walking around was because it was possessed by a demon, and he said that in order to stop it wandering, then they should go to the tomb and they should sprinkle it all with holy water. So apparently they tried doing that and it didn't work, um, and the guy was still wandering around. uh, And eventually um, William, who'd made the complaint, uh, actually went and uh, stuck a sword in his head, and then it stopped wandering about. (laughs) So you go for the sword option. Yeah. <laughs> so destroy the brain in a typical Walking Dead fashion. So there we go.
0: Destroy the brain. Aim for the head with your Winchester. Oh, you love a good Winchester in a zombie oh, novel, don't you? It's got You've got to have a Winchester. I mean, it's so iconic. Um, maybe not the most practical, but, you know, if you're going to go down in the zombie apocalypse, you've got to look cool.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, that's the logic. Yeah. yeah. Fine. Well, I think so. I will be there mm. with something hopefully a little bit more practical, less heavy, less clunky. I mean, this is in a scenario where there's a zombie apocalypse and we have access to an armory of weapons where we can choose. Well, which we we'll don't. be
0: down to Wiltshire ballistics, won't we? We will.
1: We'll be going yeah. and visiting our old friends from the Line of Duty episode. They can, yeah. they can help us out. Anyway, so. now we heard at the beginning of the episode about your zombie apocalypse draw. So, of yep. course, we did actually have to ask our guests <laughs> what they might have in their own. Should 2020 also be the year of a zombie apocalypse? So we've still got we've still got enough
0: time. There's a couple of months left.
1: <laughs> I will not be surprised by anything anymore. So here's what they both recommended.
0: Um, now, I have got uh, what is called or what we call myself, and my husband, a zombie apocalypse draw. Okay. so that's where we put all the emergency kit just in case there's a zombie apocalypse she's not joking no. i've seen it. <laughs> so if you had a zombie apocalypse draw uh what would you what do you think's the most important piece of equipment to have oh a crowbar like without
3: a doubt yeah it's good <laughs> yeah because well you, a, you know it's like a multi-tool you can use it for all sorts of stuff you know you can you can bludgeon something over the head with it you can use it to break into places you know it's a multi-purpose thing. So yeah, a crowbar. Nice. Like 100%. That
1: is a very good
3: answer yeah. actually. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to add a
1: crowbar to my zombie apocalypse draw. <laughs> so I imagine you've probably thought a lot about this, <laughs> but say you did get that notification on your phone, the news website has said there is a zombie apocalypse, it's on its way. It's started. It's got you've got enough time. It's not it's not at your door just yet. What is your zombie apocalypse plan? <laughs>
2: um- I mean, I, I think, uh, I suppose, you know, there's things like you know, you would have to have some sort of weapon to, to combat it. Um, you'd also try and make yourself uh, to go to a place where it's less easy for them to get to. So uh, upstairs, for example, or the, Ar- the Arctic, uh, because the zombies then freeze in the permafrost. So you try and go somewhere where there aren't any um, islands, and so you know, where it's uh, harder to... For them to get, um, but the problem is, of course, once you have one um, mm. infected individual, then you 're going to get more and you know your behavior is is the same as 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 in your behavior if you 're trying to avoid coming into contact with any sort of infectious disease, and of course, we know with um, you know with coronavirus now that the different behaviors uh, that are required, so again it 's separating yourself from the pathogen or the infectious agent and and keeping yourself and, and those around you as safe as you
1: can well I'm pleased at least that my office is upstairs <laughs> I'm going to start hiding like cans of beans and things in the loft so that I can pack my bag quite quickly and, <laughs> and run with some supplies are you going to be yeah. adding anything to your drawer after that do you think changing your plan well, I know we mentioned Winchesters early,
0: uh, uh, but I don't actually have a weapon. So I think I'm going to have to buy and adapt a baseball
1: bat a Oh, you're going to mod because... the bat? What are you going to modify it?
0: Well, I mean, I think either barbed wire or nails, just to be a bit grim. I think that's what, you yeah. know, most games, that's, that's how you adapt true. it.
1: Nails yeah. are easily accessible. I don't know where one would pick up some barbed wire, but could probably yeah yeah, could probably work with that from what i've got in the house actually that could probably be all right yeah cricket bat
0: actually you know we're on the uk so why maybe a cricket bat just to be a little bit more british but you know baseball bats a classic yeah
1: so let's say this zombie apocalypse does happen Mm -hmm. let's have a look now at the science which would kind of suggest how it might happen and what might happen yeah
0: so joe earlier mentioned computer modeling didn't she She and and students at the university of leicester have used an epidemiological model to simulate the spread of infectious disease among a population to investigate the threat of this kind of zombieism. So, you know, how does it actually spread amongst the population? Um, And they looked at the zombie propagation rate in the zombie diffusion model. What a wonderful thing to be working on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, they made a few assumptions. So Mm. we'll just run through these assumptions. So firstly, um, you would have one victim per day which is quite conservative, I think. What, per okay. zombie would have one? Yeah, They'd so only snack on one. So our rate of one, basically. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and but that the it would be a 90% virus transfer rate. Now, Joe mentioned earlier that it's normally 100. So again, quite conservative, mm. I would say. Um, and they assumed that the incubation period was 20 days. Which is which long. Is quite, that's a long incubation that's period. That's going to lead to a lot of accidental infection. Yeah, I think so. Um, But they did say that that zombies couldn't cross a geographical barrier. So something like, uh, you know, the Atlantic Ocean or something like this until there were 10 million zombies in their region. So again, that's quite conservative because, you know... Quite unrealistic,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. especially if you've got a 20-day incubation rate and the airlines are still flying, as we've yeah. seen this year. Yeah. It will not take long <laughs> for it to spread barriers. Yeah, okay. No.
0: So so overall, apart from the incubation period, I think quite conservative. Yeah. So with all of that, um, we would, in 100 days, only have about 100 or so survivors in the world. So essentially...
1: We're all buggered. Yeah. This is not, these are not good statistics. No, no, definitely not. So maybe, maybe the next film in the franchise should be a hundred days later. Not, yeah. not 28 days. Not later. 28 days. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but if you are actually
0: worried, then the CDC in America, and you'll be familiar with this because they are always talking about the, the mm. current pandemic in America. Been in the news a lot. Oh yes. Um, they've got a zombie pandemic 101 guide actually on their website oh. um yeah and that includes an emergency checklist of all the things you need for a zombie pandemic emergency kit so if you're right. worried download that list the yeah download nice. the list and update the drawer.
1: <laughs> and if you are one of our american listeners uh research has been done and it actually suggests <laughs> that you should head for the rockies mm. because that's where it would probably spread the slowest because you've got all the tricky terrain and there's actually so few people there so that's where i would camp out I mean, we're a bit far from the hilly areas of our country, aren't we? So, uh, I think yes. we're, stuff. we're stuffed one
0: way or the other, aren't we? So, we're we'll just enjoy the, the last few days. I think yeah. maybe yeah. my
1: zombie apocalypse draw will just be full of like champagne and nice food, <laughs> so I'll just go down swinging. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that about wraps up everything that we've got uh, mm-hmm. on zombies, isn't it? Yeah, it's time for the end of the episode. Yeah. So let's have a look at some of the uh, the different. Names for zombies that we managed mm. to, to pepper through the episode. So we started off. We had some rotters, uh, we had creepers and walkers. We did call them empties, lurkers, mm-hmm. biters got in there. You called them Zeds, which is a very American term mm. for it. And of course, you know ratlickers got in as well. Mm. I think we'll count that one. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> And if you'd like to hear more from us and see a little bit more of our bonus content, because we've got quite a lot of extra stuff mm. from our guests uh, this week. You can even see myself and Karen trying out a Winchester rifle at yes. um, Wiltshire Ballistics over the summer. <laughs> um, then don't forget to head to our Instagram, Facebook or Twitter pages. And you can also support the show if you want some even more bonus content. You can support the Mm -hmm. show um, by chucking us just a couple of quid every month uh, on Patreon. And don't forget to leave us a review. Obviously, five stars would be amazing.
0: And um, if
1: you... If not, we'll send the lurkers after you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and um, obviously uh, subscribe and if you're new to the series do go back and listen to series one because we had some amazing shows in there and you might be you might find Dracula really interesting if you're into zombies.
1: Absolutely great well we will see you next week Bye. bye